Good evening and welcome to the Obelisk. Tonight's show is a pre-recorded episode that Nish and I did back in September. I think it was on September 11th, actually, with James Bartley. James is a researcher and experiencer and has a podcast called The Cosmic Switchboard. He lives in Australia. Real interesting guy. Uh, We hope you like the show. Take care. James, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for uh, having me here. I really appreciate it. Yes, yeah. and as as I said earlier, it's a great honor, and and there's so much to dive into, especially in light of what we're seeing unfold. And, and as far as I'm concerned, this this possession takeover that now is a hundred percent underway. Yes, there's a lot of that going on, and it seems to be increasing in intensity. So we'll see how it plays out. Uh, it's gratifying to see a lot of people standing up in Australia. It's not publicized, of course. The media derides all this as like small crowds, small crowds of protesters. But the, the protests have been all around Australia in, in support of what's going on in Victoria. So we're seeing pushback. And the, uh, the powers that want to be are, are having to do a little bit of backtracking too. So th- there are some encouraging signs. That's what we need. And, and we're, we see it here as well. But one of the things, James, that is, is, I guess, sadly, as, as we've been talking, and I've just gone through one of your presentations this morning in preparation for this, uh, is that this is a global situation and this has been planned a long time and the possession factor has been a slow process and and now i i think you know it it was top tier and working its way down but now we're looking at it on the ground where we're looking at it with normal folks we're seeing more of these this takeover with um you calling them the reptilians correct yeah, at least one of the types of entities that take people up as hosts, but uh, there, are, there are many different kinds, and some people could be taken up by more than one entity as host. But yes, the reptilians are ma- major players in this. The ones that I saw and had this major download with, and I don't have a name for them, James, but I can tell you what they look like, and I can tell you what, I, what I've seen, is they, they look like cephalopods. And what I was seeing was them getting on bases. And so I, mostly through eyes, by the way, and, uh, and taking over the brain. And then what I've noticed personally, how this came home personally for me was seeing some people lose memory of the peripheral stuff. So they would remember, they do remember until they're fully integrated, okay? They remember all the important stuff, the host is, all the host important stuff, who they're married to, their children, the job stuff. But all the periphery stuff while the integration's happening falls aside. So the waitress over here, the gas station tenant. And so me as someone who, you know, I, someone that encounters people at the gas station, I always encounter the same person. And 
going in and that person does not recognize me, whereas they always recognize me. And then three weeks later is what I'm noticing it with, with more people now. It's happened with more people. All of a sudden they're back online. It's like the, the integration happened. And, and now all the periphery stuff within their cerebral, cerebral cortex, within their brain has been integrated to the, the parasite that took over. That's a very good description of what seems to be happening. If you remember, I mean, we're of that generation when we would have seen the original invasion of the body snatchers. That's what I talk. And, that's what I equate it to all the time, James. And at the time, people, film critics, and also uh, people of a more philosophical bent, they, they likened the invasion of the body snatchers movie, the original one, they said it was analogous to a communist takeover because the way that the people, when they become taken over by the pods and become pod people, mm -hmm. they lose all rationality. They're emotionally driven. They point and shriek at the demonic other when they are the demonic other. But when we look at, you know, you, I, and Jerry look at this, uh, this perspective, we look at it from the hyperdimensional interference entity possession aspect so and just as some drugs are gateways that open people up to entity possession such as crystal meth for example certain philosophies communism is a classic example of this and some of the uh let's say more islamic type ones yes we don't want yes. to get shadow banned and all, and all that but certain <laughs> certain philosophies, let's say, open people up and lend them, uh, increase the possibility of them being taken up because it's all emotionally driven. And the philosophy drives them into the reptilian lizard part of the brain of, of fight or flight and anger and extreme emotional reactions. So that's what we're seeing right now is the rationality, the logic, it's all gone out the window for so many people. And now it's, I think that just to digress for a second, but it's all related. Not only are a lot of these so-called wildfires being created by directed energy weapons, which has been the case in the past, but I do believe now that they've turned loose some of these Antifa types to, you know, set the forest on fire. Yes. Uh, we're, getting, we're getting reports about that because it's this whole, you know, devil's night thing that we used to see a lot in, in Michigan back in the old days, but now it's writ large uh, because of this general madness that's taken over so many people yeah and to be fair that's not uh it's not actually known yet if if left-wing people are causing the problems with the fires like all over the place there's also i've seen do you follow that guy dutch since on uh, youtube yes i saw that video you saw the video the, yeah. yeah so i mean we're not sure where it's all coming from but I would I wouldn't doubt it if if Antifa was doing it too. But see, that's what Jerry. That's what I'm thinking. Like James and I are saying the same thing, and and then it's it's getting piggybacked with this group with like Antifa as an example. The initial warfare is happening here. The beamed attack we're under is happening and there's now evidence pulling coming forth and there was in the last fires mm -hmm. the paradise fires and we see it and we those that are looking can see it besides us knowing it right. and now it makes sense to me that some of these people that may have been 
taken over, possessed, are also working for this faction. That, and we can call them Antifa, but whatever, there are on the ground arsonists doing this too. Sure. And, sure. I, I just, but, there's just not a lot of proof linking the two together. Yeah, and, but there are some other, well, let's say, parallels going on because ISIS, or and we know that ISIS is a controlled intelligence asset, said last year that they're going to start a wave of forest fires in America. They're even going to start a wave of uh, brush fires here in Australia. So, you know, considering that ISIS is a controlled intelligence asset, and, and when, if you look at the, if you use the term Antifa generically, right, we know that they've turned loose so many hardened criminals from the prisons. That's another one of the gaslighting things they're doing to everybody. In California, everyone's supposed to stay home and do all that lockdown stuff. But, oh, in order to stop the spread of COVID, they let these hardened criminals out of the prisons. And it wouldn't surprise me because we've seen this pattern before where the hardened criminals are then incorporated into the ranks of all these all these madmen and mad women, basically. So let's see how this plays out. And I'm sure they're not wearing their masks either. No, I'm sure they're not. <laughs> That's only for the normal people. So uh, let's take a break on the, the nonsense that's going on. I'd really like to talk more about your experiences and how you uh, discovered these entities and your abduction experiences. And I don't know, where did it all start for you? Well, for me, like, like so many others, it started in childhood, and we now know, those of us who've been studying this for some time, know that there's a multi-generational aspect to it, so not surprisingly, two of my younger brothers have also had experiences that I know of, <clears throat> and in all likelihood, it, it follows generationally, and I'm just part of the latest generation of this. When I was a boy, I was, and still am, a voracious reader. So whenever I come across anything that had interest to me, and I was always drawn to subjects like Greek mythology, uh, the Bermuda Triangle, UFOs, Bigfoot, uh, but I was also interested in military history from antiquity to modern times. So I always had my nose in books about the Roman Empire and the wars between Rome and Carthage and the Peloponnesian War, the Greeks and the Spartans. And one thing about in ancient times and certainly fast forwarding to the present time, the elite and those who make war, those who decide upon war in the background, they've always been very much into reading the signs, offering sacrifices for the, uh, the good fortune, if you will, of, of their military endeavors whether it was Alexander sacrificing bulls or you know, the Carthaginians sacrificing captured Roman prisoners, whatever the case may be, that's just something that's always happened. Uh, because the gods, when you look at it from our perspective, from a research investigator perspective, it's easy to see how the people in ancient times would have regarded ETs or non-human beings one stripe or another as being gods especially when they had seemed to have such a <clears throat> pervasive influence on humanity so as a young boy reading greek mythology it did not seem at all fantastical or impossible or unbelievable to me 
all these tales of chimeras of half human, half other creatures, of shape shifting, of the gods or goddesses involving themselves in the affairs of humanity, and also the concept of the demigods, the uh, Nephilim, the hybrid uh, aspect to it. Uh, you look at Alexander the Great, for example, we know he was a real historical figure. And his mother insisted that <clears throat> Alexander was the product of her copulating with, with a Zeus in the form of a serpent. Okay, so go figure. And then uh, it was alleged that Julius Caesar was the product of a union between his mother and an incubus, right? So that whole concept of the hybridization uh, between humans and the gods, if you will, is well embedded and it carries forward to the present day. So I always immerse myself in books and reading and I was always kind of insular child. It's part of my Scorpio dragon nature. People have to draw out you know, these discussions within me because my tendency is to you know, stay insular. And I would always feel these presences around me when I was a boy. And usually I didn't feel any anxiety or fear from these presences. I just acknowledged to myself that they were around. I was being observed for whatever reason. One of the most important experiences, formative experiences for me was around the age of four or five. Uh, my father was stationed at Naval Air Station, Corpus Christi on the Gulf of Mexico. Now at that time, that time frame, he worked variously at Naval Air Station Corpus Christi or Naval Air Station Kingsville, Texas, which were rather close to each other as the crow flies. So I can't re really remember which base he worked at, but I remember the day uh, very well. It was towards dusk. And I remember the the dust motes fly, floating in the air because the, the waning rays of sunlight were coming in through the Venetian blinds of my bedroom. I did not have it, the light turned on. So it was, it was getting dim in there. My mother was in the living room and she was ironing my dad's uh, Navy seaman uniform, which was the dark uniform. And in the Northern Hemisphere, the dark uniform is only worn during the autumn or the winter. So I know it was in the autumn or the winter uh, when this happened. And I was in my bedroom. I don't know if my younger brother had joined us yet but my, I don't know where my two older siblings were, but I was in my bedroom and I was playing with my toys and just getting into my own headspace again. When I felt the presence, and then I turned around to look and there floating in midair was this small being. Uh, I was a very small child. People called me a shrimp when I got older in elementary school because I was rather you know, diminutive. So from a small child's perspective, uh, it wasn't really that much bigger than, uh, smaller than me, but I would say from hindsight, it was about three feet tall and it was floating. It did not have the big pear-shaped, inverted pear-shaped head of the typical gray. It was, it was brown in color. Uh, the skin seemed to be wrinkled. The head was thinner, more like a normal human proportion. The eyes were round. And 
it began talking to me telepathically. Something that many other abductees and people people have had ET encounters have reported. Uh, along the gist of, <clears throat> as time goes on, things will be revealed to you. You have a destiny to fulfill. You have a lot of work to do in the future. Uh, what you're going to be doing is important, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Now, countless people have been told the same thing. With the benefit of hindsight, I, I take it all with a grain of salt. It's nothing that'll activate my ego. But from the ego of, of a young boy, about four years old, all that mattered to me was here's this intruder. And I was not scared of it at all. It was just in my space, around my toys, around my belongings. So I was being very territorial and I, I told the being to leave. And it kept talking to me in this way. Finally, I said, I'm going to get my mother. I'm going to, you know, so you can get out of here, leave my room. And then it told me that, go ahead, she won't be able to see me. I remember that distinctly. So I went to the living room, and my mom was ironing my dad's uniform. I said, Mom, there's a little man in my room. There's a little man in my room. I want you to see him. And you know, she couldn't be bothered, of course. She had things to do. She was ironing. And finally, out of frustration, I, gra I literally grabbed her by the elbow and dragged her to my bedroom door, I flung the door open triumphantly, and I said, see? And of course, the little being was nowhere to be found. He was gone. My mom got upset at me and stormed off and went back to ironing. I went into the bedroom, closed the door behind me, and no sooner had I closed the door behind me than this being manifested in midair again with a look that said, almost said, I told you so. It looked at me for a little bit longer, and then it disappeared, and that was that. Now, then, then later, my dad was reposted to Naval Air Station Alameda, which, as far as I know, was, has long since been closed down. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that's where, at the time, um, some of the Pacific aircraft carriers were parked uh, there in the San Francisco area. And... Uh, that's where I went to uh, first and second grade in school. And when I began to form friendships with others, I told them about this experience. I, in fact, I told anybody, anyone that I regarded as a friend about this, what I call the little gray man, although he wasn't gray, he was brown. But again, it was a dim room. I didn't have the artificial light on. And uh, I pointed out to others when I related the story, when I relate the story that you know, the kids back then, because we were so open-minded, nobody scoffed, nobody laughed, nobody ridiculed me. Uh, interested, curious to say the least, but uh, ridiculed never. And so I would tell everyone about this when I did it for, you know, a few years. And then abruptly, somehow, that very formative experience was just erased from my conscious memory. Hmm. And I've since heard that this has happened to others, too. But from going, from telling everyone about this experience to completely forgetting about it, something was done to me. And then fast forward to, uh, I moved to San Diego and I joined the San Diego UFO Society. My friend, the director of the San Diego UFO Society was also a hypnotic regressionist. And he put me under regression and nothing came out of, 
nothing more came out of the experiences I was delving into, which I'll get into. Mm. Uh, so I thought basically it was a failed hypnotic regression attempt. What happened was I was reading Dr. Kenneth Ring's book, uh, Project Omega, UFOs, NDEs, and the Mind at Large. I think the uh, subtitle is a great book. And at the end of that book, there's a questionnaire basically to determine if anyone had seen like aliens or had any kind of phenomena in their life. And there was a question in that questionnaire that that asked, as a child, did you ever see uh, any little people or any small beings that no one else could see? It was like words to that effect, right? And the moment I read that question, I guess the what I thought the failed hypnotic regression did was it kind of jarred things loose a little bit. Because as soon as I finished reading that question, this whole experience I related to you came back like one, like a huge zip file opening up and I remembered everything. So that was, that was a, a formative experience, uh, especially in hindsight when I, when I remembered it again, but, you know, tracking forwards from that point on, I had a lot of like paranormal ghostly phenomena around me, which is very common for some people that have alien encounters and had a lot of psychic phenomena, had a lot of dreams about UFOs, about, uh, you know, UFOs parking in a very busy avenue in, in front of our house in San Jose, California, three Bigfoot-type creatures getting out of it. I would wake up with nosebleeds. And as a young boy in Daly City, California, before we moved to San Jose, see, my dad was posted for one Naval Air Station or another. Naval, Naval Air Station Alameda is up in the San Francisco Bay Area, and just south of that, Highway 17 is, um, at the time, Naval Air Station Moffett Field, right? And so my dad was stationed at Moffett, and we were living in, then we moved to San Jose later, where I had a lot of experiences. But before we moved there, we were living in Daly City, uh, next to San Francisco. And I would wake up when uh, we were still living in Daly City with my undershirt and underwear inside out and backwards <laughs> and then also uh, i used to wear this one piece pajama outfit gray and the the attached booties the attached socks at the bottom on the undersides i would wake up and find stickers and dirt as if i'd been outdoors in the middle of the night which i didn't recall and also i slept in on a the top tier of a bunk bed I would need to climb up onto a desk and then from the desk get up to the bunk bed and my family would find me at times everywhere but the, the upper bunk bed they'd find me on the desk they'd find me under the desk they'd find me on the floor they'd find me in the hallway they'd find me in another part of the house entirely and everyone just attributed it to sleepwalking right and at times I would you know be speaking in a foreign language, which some described as sounding somewhat oriental in nature, was one of the languages apparently I spoke in my sleep. So a lot of that stuff went on and then going into my teen and then adolescent, preteen and then teenage years, began having more UFO dreams, uh, more a lot of out-of-body experiences, which I've since come to understand. Some of them were triggered by the ETs. 
and then it all culminated when I spent three months in Germany in, in 1990 in the summer on the German language program and then the last two weeks before I went home I started getting that being watched feeling again the creepy crawly under surveillance feeling again and then went back to San Jose California to get ready to start you know the, uh, the next school term in college and just whammo I had about four or five or more experiences just in a matter of a couple of weeks two or three weeks so was, one of them was ET looking out at me through my TV and zapping me my brain uh, another one was a missing time experience where I was pulling out of my friend's driveway when Jay Leno was giving the, the uh, opening monologue for the Tonight Show and then the next thing I know I'm waking up uh, parked perfectly in front of my house and my body felt like lead but I felt like electric currents coursing through it uh, and then culminating in and I had also close UFO in, encounters and then a full-blown alien abduction where I woke up and there were three reptilian greys in my bedroom uh, with claws, clawed hands. Uh, they took me up into their big ship and things just kind of unraveled from there. So that, those experiences, and there was another uh, set of experiences in 88 time frame, which was very big as far as UFO abductions were concerned. I would wake up, find myself, you know, being pulled through the ceiling and stuff. But, you know, one of the problems that a lot of us had was we didn't have a conceptual framework with which to understand a lot of this stuff. And we didn't have the internet back then, so especially after 1990, that series of events I just related, it just compelled me to go to the bookstores and the libraries and find everything I could about UFOs and, and alien abductions in particular. And like I said, I was always open to the subject, always interested. I, I mm -hmm. remember when Charles Hicks and Calvin Parker were abducted in 73. I remember when Travis Walton was abducted. Always, you know, because I'd, I'd read a number of books by that point. but. But there was always an aspect to the subject which uh, was kind of frightening to me, quite frankly. Like when Mork and Mindy first came out, it was all the rage and he was talking about it. But this, this mm -hmm. the concept of, of an alien living in Boulder, Colorado freaked me out. It was several episodes before I finally plugged into that show, which, which I liked, you know, the first few seasons. Sure. And, and then also, uh, you know, the people that were around at that time. They remember the great English rock band UFO, mm -hmm. which I, I like their music too. <laughs> but but there was something about just the name of the band that kind of freaked me out, right? So anyway, in a nutshell, that's what happened. And those major experiences in September 1990 is what compelled me to really dig into this and become an investigator, basically, mm -hmm. just so I can regain some semblance of control. And those are experiences you recalled without any kind of regression or... Oh, yeah, I, or, or I never, yeah. I tried to get regressed for the 1990 abduction and series of experiences, mm -hmm. but it, it, I thought it was a dry well. That's because later I moved to San Diego and then like two, three years later, attempted to get regressed. Nothing new came up. It was just this, what I'd already consciously remembered. Only thing that was different was I recalled that childhood event with that little brown being in my bedroom. Okay. That's cool. So <clears throat> a couple of those you mentioned seem to be physical, whereas some also seem to be more astral or fourth dimensional, if you will, right? There's because yeah, there, there was, seems to be two 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 types of um, two two different 
types of events that can occur. One is more astral, etheric, versus a physical abduction, which uh, I, I don't know enough about it to say, but it seems like there could be like my lab stuff or military involvement in the physical ones versus the etheric ones, which are more interdimensional alien types. Is that fair? Well, it turned out that <clears throat> I was having my lab experiences. Okay. There is some crossover because like the times there were two occasions when I woke up and I was right on the verge of being taken through my, my ceiling in my bedroom. And then if you don't remember the experiences or if you do remember them fragmentary at best, it's easy to write them off as a dream, right? Mm -hmm. There were many times when I would find myself being sucked upwards as if by a giant invisible magnet. And it was like my lower back was being pulled upwards. And you can imagine me like in a U-shaped formation with my, my upper body and my legs dangling downwards and my back being, you know, pulled upwards. And there were two occasions when I was, on one occasion, I was sliding along the roof of my ceiling before I was pulled through the ceiling at another time. I actually recall seeing the white bed sheet hanging down off me. It was still draped around me hmm. before I was taken through the ceiling, right? So the reason I point these out was I was on the verge of dematerializing or something was being done to me to allow me to pass through, uh, you know, the ceiling and the roof. Also, the ETs were, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, they were getting me accustomed to the concept that I was more than a physical being. And there were numerous occasions when I'd be laying in bed, restless, unable to sleep. I'd hear or more actually perceive a high-pitched sound in my head and feel a sensation of heat. And I would be restless. I couldn't sleep. And on one occasion, first, there was a very large bluish white circle that was cast on the wall and then I turned away from it because I thought well that's too weird right and then when I turned around to look again that big circle had turned into a big bluish white triangle and now my curiosity was really aroused because around that same time frame on one on another occasion I was laying in bed and I saw a bluish white beam of light come down through the ceiling and what was almost doing a surge pattern in my bedroom so when I rolled over and saw the big bluish white triangle on my wall, then I decided, well, I'm going to investigate this. And next thing you know, my nose is inches away from this triangle from the wall instantly. And so I turned around and there's my physical body laying there. So I was already out of my body all that time. I just didn't realize it. I was just restless. I couldn't sleep. Hmm. And on other occasions, I was I would be floating around my bedroom. And, and this prompted me to go read Robert Monroe's books, Journeys Out of the Body, and the yeah. whole series of books that came after that. So, and also, so there's astral dreamscape manipulation where they can literally manipulate your, your dreams, stage manage them, if you will, oftentimes of a very highly symbolic nature. So 
you know, by all outward appearances, you're laying there asleep, but they're doing things to you. Your internal uh, psychic landscape, if you will, is being manipulated. And they also can abduct you astrally. There have been numerous times when I've literally felt my consciousness being just pulled out of my body, out of what seemed to me the top of my head or out of my chest. Sometimes I felt them tugging at my consciousness through the soles of my feet. It, it just varies. So the, the alien abduction encounters are seem to me to be all-encompassing. It's not just a physical thing. It's an astral thing. It's um, stage-managed dreams. You know, the whole runs the gamut. And as far as the military was concerned, and I was only able to piece this together years later, <clears throat> when I was a boy, there was... For a number of reasons I won't get into, I had a problematic childhood as far as health was concerned. And my parents, being dutiful, you know, Navy parents, my dad was active duty Navy, my mom was a Navy wife, I was a Navy brat. And, you know, when your kid is ill and you're a Navy parent or a military parent, you take them to typically the military doctors because that's what you do and it's free, right? You don't have to pay. So from an early age, I began getting taken to these military medical facilities. And I must stress that my parents were not consciously aware of the role they were playing. They were just being concerned, fretful at times, dutiful parents. Uh, and typically these Navy doctors or Air Force doctors, they would be oftentimes high ranking individuals, 06 or above, you know, like colonels, light colonels, uh, commanders, captains. In, in the Navy, far outranked my dad, who was a mere petty officer. And so when, you know, these doctors, these military doctors, and remember, my dad was under the Uniform Code of Military Justice. So when their child is prescribed something, that's tantamount to an order. Okay? So what happened was I began getting taken to see these specialists in places like Oak Knoll Naval Hospital, which was quite a drive from where we lived in San Jose. And, uh, you know, before that, even in Daly City, because these the medical visits really began when we were in Daly City. So from Oak Knoll to Daly City, as the crow flies, is not really that far, but my dad was a horrifically slow driver. And, uh, so they would give me these pills before we go on, on these trips to Oaknell Naval Hospital, which would knock me out, <coughs> zombie me out. And sometimes I distinctly remember my younger brother would be there with me too, who also had abduction experiences. My next younger brother was born four years after me. So a lot of times the drive from Daly City to Oaknell Naval Hospital would be a complete blank. Uh, the time I spent at Knoll Naval Hospital would be, a, for the most part, a complete blank, except for a couple of occasions. And uh, on one occasion, two occasions, actually, and I, I got it mixed up for a long time. I woke up in a medical facility with all these diodes and wires stuck to my head. Now, the reason the mix-up occurred was when we were living in San Diego prior to that, my younger brother, next in line after me, he he was very skittish because he had 
particularly frightening what I know, now know to be a reptilian experience. It was just hysterical. He was repeating over and over, Snake Man. It was just terrified, right? And f for years before that, even when we were still in Texas, he refused to sleep with the lights off. In fact, if a light was turned off in a, another part of the house, he would go there and turn the light on, right? So anyway, uh, I guess it was just being mean on my part, but knowing how skittish he was and knowing how frightened he was of, of not having the lights on. One time I, he was coming down the corridor and I donned a white bed sheet and I jumped out at the last minute and, and spooked him. And, and my dad smoked back then. So what my younger brother did was he picked up this heavy metal ashtray and bonked me over the head with it. <laughs> and here I am wearing this white bedsheet. Blood was everywhere. The bedsheet was saturated in blood. And and I woke up in the hospital. Right? And I remember moving ever so slightly. And then remember those crinkly paper coverings for the hospital beds? Yep. yep. Well, when I shifted and moved, the pain from the stitches in the back of my head made me wake up. And then I felt the crinkly paper underneath me. Now, I, I got that experience mixed up with another occasion when I woke up uh, when we were still living in the Bay Area because we were in San Diego, then we moved up to the San Francisco Bay Area. And in the San Francisco Bay Area incident, I'm assuming, I'm presuming I woke up at Oakland Naval Hospital. Again, the crinkly paper covering of the bed but on this occasion I woke up and I had all these wires and all these things stuck to my head hmm. it was a dim uh, medical clinic I saw instrumentation uh, next to me <clears throat> so not a and real hospital it was just some clinic it could have been a real hospital it's just like an annex of it that was used for these purposes gotcha. uh, and like I said there was also mysterious <coughs> you know Caucasians that would show up at our house, right? Older gentlemen that would sit and have discussions with my mom. I knew they were talking about me. I'd, sometimes I would eavesdrop and sometimes I wouldn't, right? So for some, whatever reason, these people, and the reason I say Caucasian is, you know, somewhat clannish. Filipinos tend to hang around Filipinos, even in a military service context. So right. it was it was different if, if, you know, people other than Filipino servicemen, colleagues of my dad would show up. Right. So there would be these older, you know, those darn white people show up and, and I had no idea who they were, but they always had some interest in me. And was this in San Francisco? Yes. When I was in the San Francisco Bay Area and then we were living in Daly City. On another occasion, my mom took me to Army Letterman uh, General Hospital, which is on the Presidio. And, and of course, you know, with the benefit of hindsight with research, I've since learned that Oak Knoll Naval Hospital is a notorious mind control center. I've since learned that the Letterman General Hospital, Army Hospital, is a notorious mind control center. I was also taken before that in San Diego to Naval Medical Center, Balboa Park in San Diego, which likewise is a mind control center. So anyway, my mom took me to uh, Letterman Hospital, Army Hospital in San Francisco. And she took me to a kind of a remote part of the ground floor. We took an elevator along one side of the building. It, it, 
it took us up and opened in one end of a corridor. And then my mom took me to a particular door, knocked on the door. And then that's all I remember. The next thing I remember was coming to in a dark room, fumbling my way to the door, opening it. And then there's my mom on the other side. It was like she was told to be there at a certain time. And you know, somehow they timed it just right where I would come to consciousness. But the point of relevance is I don't know what happened all those times because they ordered basically my parents to give me these knockout drugs prior to my visits, right? Now, the thing about it was I don't recall taking, I don't really recall taking any drugs prior to going to Letterman Hospital. I was a little older then, right? So that was the background. And then fast forward to the early mid 1990s and by now I'm deeply into the research. And I had close friends in the high desert of Southern California. And at times we would be taken in group alien abductions, reptilian encounters, but also group military encounters. So that's where the twain met, right? <coughs> Excuse me. So I would find myself singly or in pairs or in groups being trained by deep black elements of the military that seemed to have a connection with these different ET groups and seemed to be aware of the reptilians, for example. So in a nutshell, and there's a lot more than that, but in a nutshell, that's how I came to realize after the fact that the childhood experiences with the hospital medical system in the military um, had something to do with the my labs later on. Really I have a couple of questions here. I have, yeah, sure. I have a page load. <laughs> in San Francisco, what, what years were you in the Bay Area? Well, that boyhood experience, you know, with the little brown being, mm -hmm. that would have been about 68 thereabouts in uh, Corpus Christi, Texas, and then 69, 70 time frame, moved to San Diego, and then 71, 72 time frame, went to Daly City, the suburb of San Francisco. Mm -hmm. So it would have been around 71, thereabouts. Stayed in Daly City till 74, when my dad he knew he was going to be transferred to Naval Air Station Moffett, just north of San Jose. So then, you know, he he bought a house in San Jose because, you know, what's the point of commuting, right? Yeah. So um, then moved to San Jose about 74. I remember it was 74. We moved to San Jose because that was the year that the um, Pittsburgh Steelers won the first their first Super Bowl against the Minnesota Vikings. You know, back when I was a kid, mm -hmm. I remember <laughs> baseball seasons and football seasons more than I do years, right? Mm -hmm. So we moved to San Jose in 74, and I, I lived there till 91, 92 time frame when I, when I moved back to San Diego. The guy that you recall that came to visit the older guy that was a Caucasian, what did you ever get any more information on him? And also, what do you recall specifically about him? He was tall. He had glasses. I mean, right out of central casting, you know, the way he dressed his attire. Sometimes he'd have like a tweed jacket. Other times he'd have kind of a, you know, 
simple suit for the times, right? This is early mm -hmm. 70s. Mm -hmm. uh, tall, he looked very professorial in a way, very tall in glasses. And for whatever reason, I just, on one occasion, I remember trying to eavesdrop, but I, he must have been trained or knew that I was trying to listen. So mm -hmm. the conversation was very mundane and I lost interest, right? And on one occasion, I was playing soldier. <clears throat> I had this toy rifle and it had a sling on it. And what I did was I, I got a couple of belts and I tied them together. I, I clipped them together to create kind of this <coughs> climbing gear, right? And I used it to climb the bunk bed I told you about earlier. And I've got this toy rifle slung over my shoulder. And then part of the way up, climbing up the bunk bed, the two belts became detached, right? Because I just stupidly kind of clipped them together and put the holes and, you know, the, the loop thing in one of the holes and it just didn't hold. So I fell backwards. The trigger of the toy rifle latched onto my earlobe and chomped down on it, blood everywhere, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I walk into the living room crying blood spurting out of my earlobe, but I still got a scar there. And my mom was there talking to this tall, older white guy, right? And he was nonplussed. He was just like, oh, you know, kids is bleeding here. And, mm -hmm. and all I wanted was my mommy, right? Because of, you know, the pain and discomfort I was going through. But that was an, a yet another example of when that guy was there. And I don't know if it's because my mom is getting on in years. I don't know if she was subjected to mind control or not, but she insists, right? And she's getting up there in age now. She insists she doesn't remember any visits from older white guys, which I thought was unusual. It, well, I find it quite significant. What do you recall at all what he drove? <laughs> Apparently you've had one, a visit from this guy. <laughs> I've talked, uh, I've been all over talking about my visits with this per specific person in San Francisco. Is it Dr. Green or something? Uh, um, if memory serves, see, we lived in what we call the projects, mm -hmm. which was basically dependent housing, housing for Navy and Marine dependents, and occasionally visiting Air Force because Naval Aviation liaised with the Air Force. So every once in a while, Air Force families would stay for a while when they were on TDY, right? And I lived on, all the streets were named after World War II battles. We lived on Tarawa Road, there was Saipan Road, et cetera, et cetera. Around the corner from where we lived on Tarawa Road, there was a dirt parking lot, basically. And I seem to recall now that you mention it, him showing up in like a brown sedan, like a long mm -hmm. brown sedan kind of thing, because I'd be out playing or coming and going, and then I would see that car and I would associate it with him, right? Yes. And also, uh, if your listeners remember, or your viewers remember, there was the mysterious hearing mobile vans. Uh, what would happen was in the second grade, 
the whole class would be told, we're going out to the hearing band to get our hearing tested. And it was a big event. We're all excited, right? And they'd make me wear the headphones and then they would, the technician would say, okay, if you hear a tone, open your hand, right? And then he would play a series of tones and I'd keep opening my yes. hand. And then he, he became befuddled and almost argumentative. You, you can hear that? You can't hear that. Can you hear that? Yes, yes, I can hear that. Then he'd twiddle with, you know, the machinery and emit another tone. And I'd hear it and I'd open my hand. And he was, the, the technician was left baffled. Now, another interesting facet of this hearing mobile thing is, whereas back in the second grade, the whole class was taken out years later they pull you in singly or yes. in small groups yes. and uh, fast forward to my sophomore year 10th grade right and what was interesting uh, nish and jerry was that class that they pulled me out of was third period which i frequently cut okay because <laughs> we had first and second period then break third fourth lunch and then fifth and sixth and, Unless you were a junior and a senior, you had enough credits, you didn't have to go to fifth or sixth period. Anyway, so on that day, I just decided, well, I've got an admit card, right? Because I used to write my own notes and line up and get an admit card to get back into class. And sometimes, you know, we'd be cheeky and we'd, we'd cut different classes. So I'd have a note for this class, I'd have a note for that class, and I'd have to make sure I stood in different lines so the same lady wouldn't see me, right? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I got an admin card to get back in the third period. On that particular day, somebody rocks up and says, oh, James, you have to go take a hearing test, right? And I'm like, yippee, <laughs> anything to get out of class, right? So now I walk clear to the other side of the campus, and there parked um, you know, in a remote part of the school was the hearing band again. Now, this time, there was only mm -hmm. two or three others there. I, I'd never seen any of them, right? And then the same thing. I get in there, and I put the headphones on, and you hear the tone, open your hand. And I've, I've since talked to other investigators. It's possible. It's possible. It may have nothing to do with it, but it's possible that the hearing tests were used to determine if we have implants, yes. uh, especially implants that are here, ear or somewhere that would allow us to hear these tones and then they would make note of that you see so yes. um, i think that the hearing band thing has something to do with alien abductions as well as my labs too yes it's very significant that and the eye test uh, and so with this guy and so thank you that is extremely significant and not enough information is being talked about publicly on that kind of thing and the eye test one other thing with this this gentleman, did he, do you recall him having a name? A name? I just likened him. I don't know if I was ever told this by my mom. I, I seem to recall a time we were actually introduced. Mm -hmm. I seem to liken him as some kind of a doctor. I don't know why. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, he was Doctor So and So, but mm -hmm. you know, what do I know? I'm just a kid, right? Definitely so, a civilian uh, guy, though, right? 
Yes, and he didn't wear a uniform, but it was like I said, it was housing for military dependents. Right. So all the families there were military families. So he had to have some connection with the military. Sure. But it's significant that he shows up in your that that you encountered him with your momo in there, and he's got this kind of lurky presence. And I'm just yes. I'm onto I'm onto this thread right now with other people like us. It's there's this there's really truly a, a thread here. You've that, heard similar stories. Yes, and I have my own. And so that's why I'm on this thread trying to suss out my, you know, this is what we do, right? We're trying to figure yeah. out our own stuff. Pattern data so, correlations that may not seem of significance to others, but for people like you, us. Yeah. yeah, when you stumble on them. So that's why I wanted more information on him, and it's very significant. So that's what I had. Thank you. Jerry, oh. you had a page. I've got a whole page here. Um, one question I had is, are you still experiencing any abduction stuff? Well, as recently as about three weeks ago, mm -hmm. I felt these presences. And what was happening was what some refer to now as dream hacking, where mm -hmm. I'd be sleeping and then I could feel a presence and I could feel an energetic shift and I could feel my dreams being uh, like trending in a different direction, which I didn't want them to go could be trending it varies it could be trending towards a perverse erotic direction it could be trending towards a scary kind of you know friday the 13th direction whatever the case may be uh, and in the, the dream hacking in, in this case involved uh, people or what i perceived to be individuals and then they started to morph and do things and, and behave in ways which i didn't like so i would compel myself to wake up but then you know shortly you know I'd drift back to sleep and then it'd be another dream hack and they'd be pulling me in that direction again but this went on for two or three nights of this kind of disrupted sleep finally I started doing energy energizations before I went to sleep and also uh, keeping selenite uh, close to me uh, on either side of my bed right yeah and uh, it stopped after that uh, okay. but yeah as recently oh and also um, during that time frame i was um, i was yeah almost pulled out of my body astrally like an astral abduction um, have you ever uh, questioned these entities on why they're doing this well that 1990 experience when i woke up and the three reptilian grades were there then eventually they took me up into the ship and they laid me on a table seemed to be a nondescript table but i was made to do all these involuntary flexing exercises mm -hmm. stomach crunchers laying on my tummy and, and being bent back to the point where my head and my heels were almost touching and my friend of the san diego ufo society years later you know when i told them what aspects i wanted the regression about i told mm -hmm. them about this experience and he said that they may have been activating my chakra points mm. Now, what was interesting was when I was going through all these flexing exercises involuntarily, right? I asked the being, who I, some have likened to a doctor uh, that was standing by the table, in between grunts, I asked him, what are you doing, right? Why are you doing this to me? And he said, we're taking your energy. 
very matter of fact, which didn't make sense to me because I didn't know anything about the chakra system. I didn't know anything about meridians and stuff like that back Ta then. Taking as in harvesting or taking as in readings of? Uh, yeah, I would say that was more of a harvesting aspect mm -hmm. because um, you know I've since come to understand uh, my own investigations and working with my late great mentor, Barbara Bartholik, also working with E.B. Lorgan, that energetic emotional harvesting is a big part of this and, and we see this all over the planet now with all yeah. this madness going on it's just a big douche fest it's so, major yes. yeah, major and in with some secret societies it's the whole theme of them like i i don't want to say because this is going to go public but one in specific that's been around public as an organization that i know of since the 1800s this is the whole thesis of what it's about Yes. So, so just one more question I had in this line thing. So, um, what do you think is the connection between a lot of people we've talked to have had milita lived on military bases or the, they're in the military, parents were in the military, and they seem to get, I don't know if it's that they come forward more with their abduction stories or, or is it a fact that there's some kind of joint project going on with the military, whereas the military kids get caught up in this if they meet certain criteria and whatnot, you know, if your genetics match. I don't know. There just seems to be a lot of correlation with military families having abduction experiences. What are your thoughts yes, on that? Yes, there's definitely a correlation. It's not restricted exclusively to military no. families. Uh, I think a lot of it has to do with genetics. Uh, the ETs themselves will tell the military yes. mind controllers okay, who to abduct because they've, like I said, have had this long-standing multi-generational interest mm -hmm. in certain individuals. But from a military family perspective and me being a Navy brat, it's much easier to get medical information about us. It's much easier to pull us in, in like the things I described earlier and subject us to a whole battery of exams that sometimes we can't even remember, right? So, I mean, there's a whole medical file out of me somewhere. And um, so well, I think that it's yeah. easier to access kids that fall into that selected criteria they're looking for. Makes sense. Or it's, this, I'm trying to reconcile the whole physical examination. I don't want to go with torture, but just, you know, just that whole uncomfortableness of that maybe with the energy harvesting aspect why would they want to do a physical exam on you just to harvest your energy unless that's the exam was evoking the you know making you <laughs> emit that energy that they wanted to harvest on that occasion that i described mm -hmm. uh, i think that was a standalone et operation reptilian grays and there were other ets on board that ship it was a very large ship I didn't see any military people, but when they were leading me down this aisle on either side of me, I could see in the periphery of my vision, I could see beds and I could see people laying in them. So it was like a mass abduction going on, hmm. but I didn't get the feeling or the impression that there were any humans or military controllers on board. There could have been, I just wasn't aware of any. It seemed to me that that was a standalone ET type operation. And this this particular one was a physical abduction, or uh, it was a physical. It's very physical. physical. Uh, they they, yeah, they worked me over physically. So where, how do these ships exist without being seen? Some of them can be seen. 
apparently, yeah. according to some sources in deep black military aerospace. Some of these craft emit uh, a frequency that is uh, detectable in, in the microwave band uh-huh. frequency. And also, despite how, however technologically advanced they are, some of the craft, at least in the 40s and 50s, would be affected by very powerful radar beams. Uh, around that time, uh, the late 40s and 50s, they began setting up the dew lines, just an early warning, uh, to, in case of a Soviet air attack, right, a nuclear attack. So a number of very powerful radar stations were set up, including one in New Mexico, which was Roswell. alleged, yeah, alleged in some circles to have brought down at least three craft that was in an FBI memo. Mm-hmm. And, and also in the Herbert Shermer abduction case, 67, 68 time mm-hmm. frame, he was told by the crew leader that uh, certain powerful radar systems, and this is in the 60s, like the late 60s, certain powerful radar systems are affecting the navigation of some of these craft and disabling some of them. So uh, they are detectable. And nowadays there's infrared uh, capability. In some of the video we've seen uh, from Mexico and also from the U.S. Navy, if memory serves, our infrared film, which has captured some of these crafts. So there's ways to detect them, but there's also uh, uh, numerous cases where they would be visible in the visible spectrum, but not visible on radar. So it, yeah, but- it varies. That reminds me of how there's certain classes of IR devices that aren't available to civilians. Yes. Like you can't get those next generation IR goggles to look up in the sky with. Yeah. yeah. And what an interesting story to that. I think it was Philip Corso or somebody uh, stated that the first generation or the early generations of the image enhancing uh, night vision was based directly on the um, black eye pieces taken from some of the ETs, the, e- the dead ETs from Roswell and other UFO crashes. Hmm. Uh, they found out that not only are they an eye covering, but also that it allowed them to see in the dark, essentially. So they took these eye pieces off and they, they back-engineered them and came up with a bright idea of turning them into night vision goggles. Along with the fiber optics they took out of the console, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's crazy. Um, what else did I have here to ask? So, so oh man, so many ways to go with this. So whatever, whatever ways you go, want you guys want to go? We got about <laughs> another hour uh, on this show. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, I just I don't know which which to explore more. I'm, I'm real interested in the agenda. What's their agenda, if you know, or what you think it is, how it's being implemented. Are we, you know, should we all expect an invasion soon? You know, that kind of thing. Well, you often hear talk about, you know, a fake alien invasion. But from my perspective, if there's a fake alien invasion, it's because the reptilians want there to be a fake alien invasion. Right. It's, you know, the invasion has already started because that's what I keep their, saying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Working through their hybridized mutants, essentially, their hybridized plantation managers, 
they control all the institutions. They've controlled all these religions. And look what they've done in, in the recent past. This Babylon culture they've created, the normalization of things that we, when most normal people would find heinous and obscene and, and vulgar and evil. All of it is just in our face, and that is not a human agenda. That is this Orion, a Babylonian, um, the worst aspects of Atlantean culture all manifesting, right? So I would argue that if there was a fake alien invasion, it was it's because the aliens want there to be a fake alien invasion, essentially. Um, mm -hmm. But also, there's an upsurge in UFO and alien activity in People are reporting, I'm hearing from numerous sources all over the world, of an uptick of, of personal encounters. And also from a MyLab standpoint, a lot of the MyLabs that I'm in comms with are being reactivated and being used in ops and going through intensive training again. So another point I need to make is we often hear of oh, all these craft are just, you know, manufactured by DARPA and it's part of the fake alien invasion scenario. The term Bluebeam, Project Bluebeam, came from a novel. It's it's not the name of an actual project. If it is, it's the worst non-existent cover story in history, right? Because when you talk to people in, in aerospace and aviation and in the intelligence community, the term blue is kind of a generic term. Blue sky projects, blue this, blue that. It's Blue books. Blue book. It's a term they use to describe these woo-woo, far-out kind of things. So this whole concept of Project Bluebeam, that, that in itself is a red herring. And when they invoke DARPA, oh, it's all DARPA. Well, DARPA started out. Its initial incarnation was the Joint Army-Navy Research and Development Board, which was di directly involved in the back engineering of actual alien hardware and, and alien technology you know, from the 40s and 50s, some of the top scientists of all time, world famous, were involved in that. John von Neumann, Dr. Vannevar Bush, Dr. Carl Compton, uh, Dr. Robert Oppenheimer, et cetera, et cetera, Julius Robert Oppenheimer. So to say that DARPA is creating these uh, craft that look alien and uh, it's all being leading up to a fake alien invasion, that's like putting the cart before the horse, right? So I, I just want to get that point out that this is an alien reptilian largely although the reptilians are major players they're not the only players a controlled system and what they've done and carlos Castaneda talked about this in his books uh, one of the most insidious things that they've done is they've given us essentially their minds uh, they've to use a computer term they've They've so messed with us genetically and neurologically that they've created, for lack of a better term, plugins within us that allow them to insert thoughts, allow them to insert um, mental imagery, allow us, allow them to play with our emotions, uh, just by simply mucking around with our, our hormonal system, our endocrinary system. As my mentor Barbara Barthold said, they know us molecule by molecule. So, and people need to remember that psychology follows neurology always and neurology follows genetics yes and these serial murderers and these high-level perps in front of the camera and behind the scenes they're reptilian or draco human hybrids and i've taken the time it's not pleasant reading but i've spent a lot of time studying the work of, of 
profilers, serial killer profilers, and studying the letters and the written comments and statements of the serial killers themselves. And many of them talk about, Ted Bundy talked about scaly monsters coming out of his closet when he was a boy. And, and other serial killers talk about, and serial rapists talk to, talk about succubi experiences, talk about uh, encounters, uh, childhood encounters with monsters and other types of beings. So uh, basically what we're seeing, and also a, another aspect that's often left out because there was a big effort at covering up. They created this fake meme of, oh, the satanic hysteria of the 18, 1980s. And there's nothing really to it. And, it's just hysteria because a lot of the people were starting to break programming and a lot of witnesses and survivors were coming forth. So they created fake organizations like the false memory syndrome run by pedophiles right, mm -hmm. to counteract all this testimony that was coming out from all these people that were breaking programming or coming forward. So <clears throat> the point of relevance is a lot of these serial killers, <clears throat> there is an occultic supernatural ceremonial magic aspect to their stories. Jeffrey Dahmer was a classic example of that, and he was not the only one. So this uh, obsession with ceremony, with ritual, has been embedded uh, in the, the psyche, the philosophy, and the lifestyles of this hybridized elite going back into antiquity. What we're seeing now is just being pushed in our face as being normal. and oh, look how trendy it is because so many of these major sports athletes and celebrities and singers and artists are into it, seemingly, right? And sure. they're giving cutesy little, seemingly cutesy little hand signs and symbols uh, to let others of their ilk know. But their adoring, worshipful fans don't know for the most part. So the agenda is one of global control. It's one of major depo depopulation and it's, it, microchipping everybody. It's uh, plugging everyone into a collective Borg type AI system. And it's really being driven because we're on the verge yet again uh, on the cusp of these celestially driven cataclysms. Yeah. I, I myself have seen the second sun. I've seen it at, at 35,000 feet flying over Central Asia when I was on my way to the UK to take part in the first ever reptilian conference. I've seen it on the ground. And I've seen it on surf cams, which those websites have since been taken down. They deliberately put chemtrails, especially chemtrails that are dark, that, mm -hmm. that turn very dark. In fact, a, a thick, dark band right above the horizon at sunset. They specifically target certain parts of the sky for chemtrailing. I've seen them do it in real time where I would I see momentarily to. the second sun. And then suddenly you'd see these planes fly by and start emitting these plumes. Yes. If those, if that perma chemtrail haze was not there, everyone on this planet by now would have seen that second sun. And there is a, it's got its own solar system, and it's got its own debris field that's trailing. That's why we're getting more reports of bolides, more reports of asteroid near misses, and that may factor into this as well. This so, is. I have. I wanted to get on this before we get too far from it. This is what I see is going on with this agenda of keeping us inside and distanced. And uh, one of the things that I'm curious about is your thoughts on 
the rollout that started this whole thing with the the pandemic and what i was seeing is a genetics a raking for bringing forth specific genetics at this particular time looking for and identifying these specific genetic markers in people across the planet so not only do i see that they've been trying to cover up the second sun and all that that you were just mentioning and then the idea that we're being forced into our houses and then the sleight of hand that's going on with all the other dramas to keep everyone from looking up and out then we're being separated and mined for our genetics and those of us that have gone through these issues i want to say right now that have been select that dealt with this stuff early on in our lives were i i just have this deep sense that there is a genetic factor here and i'm wondering how that fits into what you're saying and does it tie into this whole experience of where we are right now with being thrown into our houses and distracted the lockdown isolation aspect is inherently non-human the, the social distancing which was in a predictive programming sense all, the whole concept of social distancing came out in a movie with jude law not too long ago about about a pandemic about an outbreak so those thoughts were you know seeds were planted a while back now everything about it we're not allowed to see our loved ones who are going to pass away uh, we're not allowed to have physical contact see pictures and videos of kids widely separated in classrooms some of them in their own little bubbles that's completely inhuman um, we humans by nature are social creatures some of us are like serial huggers we just in, in really enjoy uh, being in the company of others we're social beings so not only to deprive us of the means to interact with our loved ones right like for right now victoria might as well be east berlin uh, might as well be Czechoslovakia yeah, during the Cold War, right? The Iron Curtain has come down. It's another place entirely now. Not only do they enforce this lockdown, but because of the long-term trauma that humanity collectively has been subjected to and the long-term operant conditioning, brainwashing, cultural Marxism, which is all reptilian in nature, if you, if you ask me, they managed to turn humanity against itself. Oh, that if you saw the movie Idiocracy, and then um, those people who weren't were not scanned were unscannable. Oh, he's unscannable. He's unscannable. Well, he doesn't have a mask. She doesn't have a mask. You're getting too close to me. Back off, right? That's and because they're using fear as 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 a weapon. It's been weaponized. They've turned so many people from sheep, the sheep in the sheepdogs, right? So they're, they're a force multiplier for this control system. Humanity turning up, up against itself, kind of like if you look at a, a mass autoimmune response. Just think of the human yes. race as one body. It's like a mega autoimmune response upon itself. That's, that cannot be human in origin. I don't care what anyone says. 
because this makes no sense that we would do this to ourselves. And as far as the rewriting of the genes are concerned, they're already boasting Moderna, which is one of the front runners for this mass vaccine rollout. The head scientist has already boasted that the RNA within the vaccine is going is going to rewrite the genetic coding of, of everybody. Uh, so did Bill Gates. But, yeah. So it's like, what does that got to do with healing anybody? What does that got to do with fixing anybody, right? And <clears> for something with, with a 3% fatality rate on top of that. 3% fatality rate. It's, you talk about an overreach. You talk about an overreaction. And most people, if they had time to think about this, if their emotions weren't hijacked, they would say, you know what? I'll take my chances. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to live my life. But what they've done is they've used this as... As a, as a control mechanism, but many of us had gamed this out years ago. Eve Lorgan and I and some of my colleagues talked about what are some of the things that could be utilized by the reptilian overlords, by the controllers, to create a lockdown, a planetary lockdown. And one of the things we came up with, and we're not the only ones who came up with this hypothesis, was a plant pandemic real or contrived, right? <clears throat> and there could be you know, grades in between. I'm not saying it's either one or the other. <clears throat> there could very well be a, a pandemic that manifests later because everyone starts getting vaccinated and who knows what's in the vaccines, right? So there's the also the AI component where yes, for a long time now, they've been boasting about the nano chip aspect, the nanobot aspect where and of course they coach it in terms like, oh, it's going to be so good to advance medicine. Yeah, right. <laughs> what we've seen <laughs> is the bitter fruit of this Rockefeller medicine for so long now. Yeah. But what they've openly boasted about is how these nanobots can go to particular organs, particular parts of the body via the bloodstream and coalesce and start doing things, right? Right. And well, that, targeted that, repairs. And what we've been programmed with this information through media for years and years. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and the predictive programming, if I'm an old Stargate junkie, so. Mm -hmm. The, the offshoots of that Stargate SG-1 and then Stargate Atlantis. Uh, I mean, the replicators were using yep. the, the nanobots and, and taking people over with them, right? So we have that aspect as well. Not only is the DNA being re-engineered and also the onslaught, our, our DNA and our immune systems have already received in the form of processed foods, Franken foods, GMO foods. Right. Yes toxic fluoridated water, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So on top of that, you have the RNA genetic code rewriting aspect. Piggybacked on top of that is, is the nanobot, uh, nano particle aspect to it. Piggybacked on top of that is the frequency modulation aspect. Who knows what effect, because a lot of these things work in synergistic fashion right. yes. with each other. So we have the 5G rollout going on, and they're already talking about 6G, because I study military. Uh, they're talking about 7G, too. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I study military affairs up to the present time. Uh, you know, this concept of digital twinning, this concept of utilizing, uh, like, some of the carriers and some of the uh, carrier battle groups, uh, they, they're now loaded down with the Internet of Things, where the combat information centers are replicated on a shore station. So every one of the shore station could essentially see 
what and remotely control what the people on board the ship in the combat, combat information center uh, can see. And because of all the, the back doors uh, from the all these different the tech companies. corporations, mm. you know, they talked about the Clipper chip years ago. It's far beyond that now. So things can be done remotely. And the Internet of Things requires at least 5G. So when I start hearing stories of aircraft carriers coming down and, and passenger liners, ocean cruise liners coming down with mm -hmm. mass outbreaks of uh, of COVID, I'm thinking, mm -hmm. oh, these people are being beamed, right? And yeah. what was interesting was when they eased the restrictions in my state, New South Wales, and we started driving around, right? <clears throat> we were starting to see 5G towers, big, ugly 5G towers all over the place. And the plan is to put them close enough together so they have <clears throat> blanket you know, coverage, coverage yeah. right? So you have the RNA rewriting aspect, you have the nano uh, aspect, you have the frequency modulation aspect. And then on top of that, I've had Sue Plavetic on my show and she's a house cleaner. She's a you know, mediumistic skills. She sees all kinds of portals, all kinds of weird energy formations you know, flitting in and around these towers. And that was even before 5G came out, right? So the potential exists that the five, on top of everything else, the 5G, 6G, 7G will open these rents and tears and what mainstream physicists call space time to allow like we need anymore, allow even more of these entities in, right? right? It, because these people, they've already been prepped to, I've had Jerry Marzinski on my show and he talks about how you know, these non-corporeal parasitic beings insert thoughts and, and whatnot into us, but then the mainstream psychology calls it psychosis or sorry, psychotic break, but it's really these entities, especially for people that, uh, you know, unfortunately have gotten into yeah. meth addiction, it's a, it's a fast track to that. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I think the potential exists and we've talked about CERN, the Hadron Collider, what have you. I think that things are being done and the, 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 the fires have something to do with this. Things are being done to drive the frequency bandwidth, if you will, of this dimensional plane of this of our world into such a low frequency that it allow more and more of these entities in and it'll enable more and more people to be taken up as hosts because these entities that take people up as hosts, they operate in a high consciousness, high mind fashion. It's, it's a parasitical hive mind virus. Think of it as Wetico, what the, some of the Native Americans call it, and what the Gnostics refer to as, as the Demiurge, but there's an AI overlay to that too. So, yes. yeah. so I, I've been and my colleagues have been talking about, not only is it a threat to our mortal coil, and that's why we need to start thinking in a higher dimensional sense, because we're all going to pass out of this mortal coil at some point. But the potential exists, and I don't want to put too negative a spin on it. We, it's just a possibility. We have to account for it. The possibility exists that all this RNA tagging, et cetera, et cetera, that it could also be meant not only to depopulate the surface for the most part, but facilitate and enable this recycling of souls. And, Tra you know, trapping them here. Trapping them yeah. indefinitely. Okay, so it's not just a case of, well, you take the vaccine or you take this or you take that and then you sick it and die. It's, I think it's far worse than that. Hmm. So that's I agree. the work that we've got cut out for us. And, you know, Assignment Earth, 
we only came here because we, we knew that we could make a difference uh, and it's going to be a rocky ro ride but i i'm hopeful i'm not a pollyanna i don't think everyone's going to make it uh, because you know all these people that have turned into sheepdogs and not that that are being spiteful or vindictive about it but where's the self-work where's the shadow work where, where's the <laughs> obviously where's the not passion? Where's, the, where's the empathy you know this is the scorpio dragon in me coming out now right it's oh, but like that's part of the coding to break it is to yeah. do the inner work that's yeah. that's part of it and it's not yeah, going to so happen i, well, I don't know if masses. i answered your question but that's oh, you, yeah, you yeah you, we're getting a clear glimpse of uh the real humans and <laughs> the possessed at this point um do you ever have you ever heard of randy green Oh, no, please tell me about her. She's, um, <clears throat> she's an energy worker, psychologist out in, I think she's in Denmark. But a lot of the stuff she's put out recently is exactly what you just said about, you know, bringing the, the frequency of the planet down into the, basically two dimension, into the second dimension. And that we're in a, a time right now when we should be ascending to this next, the, the, the density, the, the higher density energies are going to be coming in from the sun soon is her story. And the lower that we can be pulled down by the interlopers, if you will, the better for them because they don't want to give up on what's going on here. Cause it's so tasty, right? All that tasty energy. So we're being pulled down and being pulled up. And there's just this, this terror between the two groups. It's a, it's it's a huge body of work that she's done. I will email you some of that information. And no. now that you mention it, I think J Judith Cuoba was talking about her that she had her on her show recently. Now that memory serves, and and I, I would agree with that because there there's she's oh, I forget the name of the physicist now, but he's done great work, and he talks about all these energy energy streaming in from the galactic core. Mm -hmm and how it's um, in the past it's one of the factors that caused these celestially driven cataclysms as well as you know large planet x type large comet types passing through <coughs> but also the fact that a large amount of energy is emitted from the galactic core and i would say that although like the extreme uh, version of that could result in a celestially driven cataclysm in our solar system. I also believe that large influx of energy, gamma rays, whatever the case may be, can have a positive effect on a number of people on the surface of this planet that are genetically encoded, if you will. And I don't mean this in an elitist sense. No. Huh. Right? Because <clears throat> you talked earlier about, the, you know, how do the people in the military, my lab, alien programs identify right. these people. And if you look, look at Dan Sherman's story, he was a civilian. His mother was an, a civilian alien abductee, and so was he. But he was groomed even before birth. His mother was genetically modified before he was born and while he was still in the womb to enhance his psychic abilities. And so by hook and crook, eventually he was shunted in to the Air Force Security Service, the NSA subsidiary, and then eventually became an IC, an intuitive communicator. And you can find his story on Project Camelot. I've read his book. And this was a 1972-74 timeframe when he was plugged into this, what he called the gray program. Uh, and the purpose behind it was uh, 
he would be this telepathic liaison between the Air Force Security Service slash NSA and a faction of the Zeta Reticulans, the Greys, or some mm -hmm. faction thereof. And he realized that these number designations they kept giving him signified the, the time and geographic coordinates for an abduction and the return of said abductee. And then it occurred to me that well, they were giving him a large number of number designations, which signified an individual, right? And since he was in a military program, some of those people, a significant percentage of them had to be my labs. They couldn't only be strictly alien abductees. If, if the, the Greys were liaising with the military about this, some of those people had to have been my labs. And the project was called Project Preserve Destiny. He was told by his superiors in Air Force Security Service that one day the grid's gonna go down, uh, communication's gonna go down, uh, there's some kind of unspecified celestially driven cataclysm is gonna happen. And the whole purpose uh, behind the project he was in was to be able to maintain, maintain comms with that particular ET group and continue in some fashion this program. So as far back as at least 72 time frame, Dan Sherman was being told there's going to be something that's going to cause the entire grid to go down, right? And in the recent past, we've heard about how uh, because of scholarly errors, call it what you will, uh, people got the, the dates of the Mayan calendar mixed up. And <laughs> that we may be in like more of the 2012 time frame than, than we realize that 2012 is Yes. Not really 2012, right? And we've seen these errors before. I mean, you look at one of the great Napoleonic campaigns, uh, the the Austerlitz campaign. It, it, the Russians were going by the old Gregorian calendar and the Austrians and, and, and were, were going by a different calendar and Napoleon had his own calendar. <laughs> he, he wiped them out because the Russians, you know, they were late. They didn't go by the same calendar. So what if there's something to that? And uh, Evie Lorgan was on my show when she talked about Project Looking Glass and then uh, Bob Lazar talked about Project Looking Glass great as well. interview, by the way. Yeah, and, and some other people have talked about how there have been efforts to, you know, bust beyond a certain time frame, but beyond that time frame, things, there was a, just too variable. There was nothing you could really hang your hat on. And so to me, this energy streaming in from the galactic center that's a potential game changer, which is why I feel one of the reasons. Another thing too, was there was for a short while, there was these mainstream scientific articles coming out. And of course, mainstream science, very reductionist, everything has to be reduced to a particle or a subatomic particle. But the mainstream physicists were freaking out because there was some kind of unknown, unnamed particle coming out of the sun, which would seem to be having an effect on what we call space time. Right. It was changing things. It, see, the fundamental constants are changing, which again, in a sunsuit fashion, that benefits us. Mm -hmm. And I already see that these controllers or would-be controllers are making a lot of mistakes. They've done things that have caused a mass. There was a big wake-up after 9-11, but there's a mass wake-up now. Yeah, right? absolutely. So it, it's a race. So they, they have to drive down the frequency bandwidth. On the other hand, if we can avail ourselves of whatever mysterious woo-woo particles are coming out of the sun and also the coming out of 
the galactic core, and I believe it's coming out of all galactic cores, not just in our galaxy. Well, I think this whole plane of existence, what's <clears throat> happening here, think of it very much as a cork in a bottle. Think of all the souls that are just endlessly recycled here. And some of us volunteered, quite frankly, to get caught up in this yeah. recyclement program. You know, because in cosmic uh, interdimensional terms, we're long-term sleepers, right? Mm -hmm. That's how I'm on Earth. So what, there's nowhere else in the cosmos to be right now. If you're uh, sure we have a lot of inhibitions that we have to work with, uh, not inhibitions, but things that were done to us genetically to dilute and marginalize our innate powers and abilities. But I think that this energy streaming in, whatever's coming from the sun, can tend to enhance people. Marianne Fisher was talking about, we have to stop thinking of ourselves as the avatar. We gotta start thinking of ourselves as the game players, as, as yes. the, the multi-dimensional beings that we are, right? They work so hard to make us feel loath loathsome and just stupid blood bags, and useless eaters. We're far more than that which is why they got to go to such extremes to, to lock us down and oppress us. But I, I think that, I think that a lot of things, I wouldn't say the ball is start, starting to bounce our way. Finally, I wouldn't necessarily say that things are trending in our direction, but the potential exists. We can, what we do with the first circle ourselves individually and collectively, I think we can make a big difference. I really think we can. Yeah, I, I agree. And uh, the, regarding 2012, I don't want to harp on Randy's stuff because some of it's really wacky and some of it's real interesting. So, it, you know, as with anyone, take it with a grain of salt. But um, she claims that 2012 did happen, but it wasn't an instantaneous thing. It was a nine-year process, which is now happening. So, I mean, the... the the, those energies are now coming in and now we're seeing the sun is waking up right so we're seeing more sunspots and more the coronal whole stream is strong and we're getting all these getting huge cosmic rays the magnetic field of the earth has been decreased you know if we can believe science the magnetic field is 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 shrinking so we're getting more cosmic rays to the surface so yeah i can totally see how that could be and and we don't know what the effects on consciousness are so this could be some kind of activation. I totally could get behind that. So bring it. I'm, I'm ready for it. So yeah. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd like your thoughts about this initiative. I definitely want to maintain comms with you after this interview. But um, yeah, what are your thoughts? Well, I had I had another on that. I have I have other thoughts on that, but I I'm I'm following some threads right now that are not common. They're not talked about, and that's kind of the stuff I'm onto. And it's it is for me sussing out the people that have actually gone through this stuff, and the, and it's the revealing, right? And so, as someone that has deep roots in this, uh, not just from my mother, but the craziness of my life. Uh, I am focused on trailing these things. So with the doctor, you recall the strange man, right? And the genetic mining and this particular lockdown we're in right now in conjunction with everything you've been saying is interesting to me that part of the dynamic 
for social distancing, along with everything that's been brought forward, which I agree with, there's also an olfactory faction here. And if there's a need, there is a need by this uh, takeover that's happening to keep some of that at bay because we can tell. There's a scent factor here. And, and if you go back and you start looking at some strange commentary about some of the world leaders, some of the very significant people, we hear stories about how they smell that we that are known that I, I don't want to throw their names out, but I'm sure you've heard some of these stories about other presidential runners and all this about smelling like bad flesh or sulfur and all this other stuff. So I think there's a component here that is allowing them to walk amongst us more freely with this idea of social distancing. And the masks also play into this in the process of integration that it's not so much, there is a control factor here. And of course that is leading to emotional uh, endocrinic releases and which flood the system and gives this kind of hormonal uh, gaminess to humans that gets fed on. However, I think that there is a deeper layer here and it's part of the walking amongst us layer. They don't care who's actually really pulling up to it and doing it other than it's showing who's got a rebel aspect to them, who's got a rebel gene. That's of course very important information. And so those, the people that are really pushing against it are also identifying themselves and there's with no work, you know, this is like low hanging fruit, but it's also because it's considered in quotes mandatory everywhere. It's allowing these specific beings to walk amongst us because we can tell, we can smell them and we can see them and there are physical attributes that can happen. And there is something about also in the process of taking over bio vessels that they can there's there's a there's a lot of deep genetics going on here but they can it, it, i believe that it is possible to even commandeer a body that is freshly dead now and i'm talking like freshly dead and so that it didn't the systems haven't really shut down so people in hospitals and stuff like this and i i have i just i know this may be far out woo for some I'm sure it is far out woo for people in Wu land, but this is something I'm following and I'm seeing a lot of congruent evidence that's piling on top of this narrative that that's where I'm going right now. There's a, I wanted to ask you about dogs. One of the things I've noticed and the deeper into some of these back backdoor conversations I'm getting into with people contacting me as I as I talk about this stuff more and I was just on a radio show last night talking about this I get getting more DMs and people contacting me is and this is from personal experience somehow dogs are not favored by whatever's taking over and they there's a there's something going on with dogs 
And then, so I'd been hearing this. I have dogs. I have had, uh, I'm not going to bring in my personal stuff here because this show is not about me, but those stories are out there. I'm hearing more and more about it. And then what do we start hearing about how dogs are getting in North Korea? You know, they had to give up your pet dogs, right? And then there's in Italy, you have, if you have a dog, you have to walk, it's mandatory. You walk it twice a day. And these rules that are happening around dogs specifically, and we're seeing more dog type stuff. And so now that that earworm is out for people, you'll start noticing it. Just pay attention. There's something here. The dogs know more than any other animal. The dogs know and the dogs are threatening to them, which is what's going on with some sort of flesh. There's a weirdness I noticed with the dogs as well at the pounds and stuff. There was this mass adoption of dogs during this lockdown because allegedly people are feeling lonely and they want pets. But I started looking, I started questioning. So I, I was calling pounds and stuff. And I, you know, where are the records of these people? Who's actually adopting these dogs? It seems very nefarious to me. And there's something going on there. So I wanted to get your take on that. In, in predictive programming fashion, in the original Planet of the Apes series, when uh, the R Ricardo Montalban character was talking to Caesar, <laughs> you gotta love that, right? Yeah, he he took him, he took Caesar to statues in, in the middle of a city square of dogs and cats, and he said that uh, Ricardo Montalban said these in so many words, these were our highly venerated uh, pets. They were really family members back in the day, but the astronauts brought back some unspecified virus that wiped out all the dogs and cats. And so they're no longer in existence. When you look back in antiquity and you see how dogs in particular were held in veneration by our ancestors, even those living in what we would call caveman type bands had forged this special relationship with dogs. They survived together. They hunted together. They lived together. Uh, you look at the veneration that some of the ancient emperors and kings had for their dogs, state funerals for dogs of thousands of people showing up, um, all, all dressed in their finery because of a, a family pet in the royal household had passed away. And then you look at the puppy side that has been going on right, where not only with the Minnesota multiphasic psychological profiling to determine, you know, which of these police applicants and sheriff applicants have all this latent aggression, but we know that serial killers from an early age were, were into killing furry animals. They didn't just stop at amphibians and lizards and pulling the wings off of flies. They graduated at an early age to killing dogs, and torturing cats, and what have you. So what do we see? We see all these psychopathic reptilian Draco hybrid cops yes. killing people's dogs for no reason at all. Yes. Right? I mean, going into people's homes, oftentimes it's, they used to make up some excuse, some unspecified woo-woo informant said that drugs were being sold at a residence and they show up and they kill the dogs. And after a while, they'd even bother coming up with an excuse. Oh, there's dogs there. Let's go kill them, right? And there are tons so, of videos with this. 
oh yes, it's horrific because I'm a dog guy too, right? And, and that, that whole sentiment was echoed in the movie, well, the, the TV adaptation of The Leftovers. Did you see that? No. It's a post-rapture drama that HBO aired in 2014, had three seasons. And one of the, on the first season, there was a guy who showed up and they were shooting dogs because the dogs had become not theirs anymore. Like, he, someone had a dog and after the record happened, whatever happened, the, the departure, they called it in the show, the dogs became no longer theirs. They not, they weren't the owner of the dogs. They were just these basically demon-possessed things that were running around and had to be killed. Oh, that's, that's pretty convenient, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, but if and you look the programming at it the... of I Am Legend, too, the yep, recent yep. movie. Well, that's happening right, right now. <laughs> because that, that female German Shepherd, and I'm an old German Shepherd guy, right? I've various types of breeds in my life. That, and, you know, people like us, they're not pets. They're, they're family members. They're furry family members. Absolutely. And so, you know, to see all these cops and deputy sheriffs going around just blasting away at dogs and nothing ever happens to them. Right. No, they've got carte blanche, and this they got is carte blanche and, to do it because they're in fear for their life. It doesn't matter if it's in like a litter of Chihuahua puppies, yeah, because they're psychopaths. Yeah. But see, the point you made—you hit on so many key things. I didn't want to interrupt you. You talked about the olfactory senses. You talked about how the 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 freshly dead, right? Because my my late great mentor Barbara Barthel and I talked. She she schooled me on this basically. Okay, look for accounts of aliens, greys, reptilians showing up at funeral parlors, showing up at, uh, at mortuaries, showing up, uh, you know, at places like that where there are, yes. are deceased corpses. And then if you can find a book by Theodore Elion, I think his name was a, a German explorer, who wrote the classic book, Darkness Over Tibet. He talks about how he'd infiltrated the, the forbidden city underground in Tibet where he came across this black llama and he, he he was only there three days but he noticed that the longer he spent there the more zombified he was becoming <clears throat> there was something in the very atmosphere there was some dark magic going on he noticed the servants essentially the slaves that worked for this black llama and i mean black in, in a metaphorical sense not in color yeah yeah uh this llama sorcerer kind of guy that the servants were all speaking in a monotone, monosyllabic, just smart enough to carry out mundane menial tasks. And then what happened was when he escaped from the Forbidden City, <coughs> his information, sorry, <coughs> his information was so interesting that the SS Anunerba, which was a special unit within the SS that went around in true Indiana Jones type fashion around the world, including Tibet, to acquire this kind of arcane, esoteric information that they were really into the books written by Theodore Elion. And in that book, he talks about after he ex escaped from the Forbidden City, he had watched, because he noticed before he went into the Forbidden City how the villagers were taking their freshly deceased in, in cartloads out to an unspecified place in the, in the desert, right? <clears throat> so on this occasion, he's hiding in the rocks, and he sees the uh, the villagers bring out their recently deceased, 
And then he sees either the head black llama or one of his lieutenants there. And then he said that the, the llama, the sorcerer did something to the bodies, which he could not bear to speak of because it was so revolting and so horrific, probably sodomized them because of the latent electromagnetic yeah. uh, uh, energy that was still latent within. Because we know that it's come out in the public that what they're doing with and I don't, I don't call them fetuses. That's using their jargon. These are little babies that they're taking out. Absolutely. They're still, they're still alive. And, and they, they kill them while their hearts are still beating, which yes. then get recycled into vaccines. Thank you, Effie, very much. Right. Because it's they're horrifying. It's horrifying. It's, the, it's with the food enhancers, so-called, very soil and green. And it's also with, with, with the ingredients, the, um, the aborted fetal cell tissue that's winding up in vaccines, they're essentially turning everyone into, into cannibals, whether they realize it or not. And that in itself is having... Thank you, it, yes. Uh, 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 that in itself is having a role in, in rewriting the DNA. Um, I really like you two. I, I could talk to you guys for hours. <laughs> anyway, anyway, because uh, we only got a few minutes here. Yeah. So with, when people keep that point in mind of how they take these these babies that are still alive and then they kill them and then they uh, and we know that with the organ harvesting going on with China, China is another culture that hates dogs. Yes. Uh, the, the Islamic Sharia is another culture that hates dogs. Yes. Oh, don't bring those unclean animals here. We're taking over, right? Keep your dogs away or we'll kill them. How many videos are out there of these Islamic types slaughtering and torturing dogs and cats? This is significant. It's, it's very significant, significant because they know, because yes. of the olfactories, because the olfactory aspect alone because I've spoken to a lot of reptilian abductees, people that have reptilian experiences, and some of them are essentially reptilian hybrids themselves, because you know otherwise reptilians wouldn't have an interest in them, but they just happen to have the soul quality, which rejects all that reptilian Babylonian crap, right? But they definitely say that not only the reptilians themselves, but their hybrids, because they've encountered what appeared to be human military on underground bases, but they knew they were really reptilians. They knew by the way they smelled, by the sounds and by their movements, that they were either yes. shape-shifting or they assumed the human guys. So you, you remove the dogs with their olf olfactory sense and their ability to innately um, detect evil and, un and basically unclean spirits, let's say. So you remove them out of the equation. Everyone is masked. And I, I would argue that when you look at some of the video, there was one horrific video I saw of of this cop who just suddenly started attacking one of these boys that were skateboarding in an empty lot behind a store. And he began, it looked like he was starting to tase him. Now, what happened was this cop, if you looked at him, he looked, he looked undead. He, he had no, yes, <laughs> he, he was very pale in appearance, right? And so many of these hybrids and the military has a lot of these, because I've encountered these and others have encountered them. They seem to be getting cloned out of some cloning factory somewhere. They're tall. Many of them have like a square jawed, blonde or sandy brown hair. This one was tall, very pale in complexion, uh, but had dark hair. But these hybrids have different colored hair and what have you. Um, and then there's one of my the friends, all the Beetlejuice type people where they just look like they're in corpses. Yes, yes, and that became fashionable. That became a trend for a long time. Oh, um, you know that Beetlejuice aspect. But but the point of relevance was this cop who just was watching these kids skateboarding. Eventually, he couldn't take it and just had to abduct one of them. 
So he grabs this poor kid and starts torturing him. The whole thing was videotaped. And it looked to me like he was like like a vampire out in daytime that just was just out for blood, basically, right? And so yes. w- when you keep that point in mind, when you see all these mass cops just harassing people all over the place now, now we already know a significant number of them are already taken up as hosts, already genetically predisposed, spiritually disposed to being taken up as a host. That's why they're there, right? So what if, what if, because we're also seeing in true Babylonian fashion, so many of these celebrities, uh, their their outward appearance is, is starting to degrade for whatever reason. So they, they need fresh lack of, I think this is where the term fresh blood comes from. And and then w- when you hear- True blood. Um, true blood. And then that's <laughs> another thing. And, and I was talking to uh, Pierre Sabach and uh, Pierre Sabach, when we got talking about secret societies, uh, which are these, you know, as you know, these hybridized fraternal orders, but they're also these women groups that are, you know, hybridized, plantation managed too. That the term secret also is related to secrete, right? Secrete as in hormones, hormones and, you know, released during torture, let's say, right? So when we look at the concept of, of, of secretions, of secret societies, of these elite so-called needing certain secretions. Uh, humans do it, did it for many years with whales, cutting out glands out of them and making perfume out of them. Nothing unusual with the concept, right? Yeah, so the amber green. The, exactly. So when we start looking at it from that standpoint, thank you for bringing those subjects up. And I, you know, before you finish here, I'd like to point out that there is definitely, we already know that some of these archontic parasitic beings are deeply involved in the death and dying process and the recycling process. <clears throat> so it is not a stretch to, uh, it's not a great leap of faith to assume that they have something to do with the physical remains, the mortal remains, especially fresh remains, because you know the organ harvesting that's going on, which is just the tip of the iceberg. We already know that's happening. So what's yes. going on in these weird science labs? What's going on in these weird science underground labs? What's going on off world, right? Uh, because so much of this stuff, it's not that they've, we've gone off-world or, or deep black elements of the military or space have gone off-world. They've just done what's been going on all along anyway. They've just finally caught up, basically. So our work is cut out for us. I, I do believe that uh, at some point uh, there's going to be a tipping point. Uh, enough people with consciousness will start to wake up. Uh, a DNA, you know, I don't, don't want to sound new agey, but at some level a DNA activation is going to occur and because they've worked so hard to keep us from reactivating our innate multidimensional powers for lack of a better term they're there they exist we know that from a my lab sense and from an et sense these other forces can trigger and exploit and utilize these abilities within many many my labs and sometimes these my labs can spontaneously manifest abilities but also some of them are very well practiced but also you look in traditions like the yogis and the medicine men, medicine women, you read the accounts of Rolling Thunder, the great intertribal uh, medicine man, the, his exploits, the things he did. Uh, you read uh, the books by, um, a book written about a uh, black elk, uh, the sacred ways of, of Lakota. And it gives you an idea of what we are capable of. So anyhow, uh, definitely would like this to do this again, but definitely like you two to be on my show. So Sure, uh, anytime. Yeah, we would be honored. 
And we'd like to yeah, get you back on our other show too, sometime. Oh, yeah, yeah, thanks. The, no, which is about thank, dreams. Thank oh, definitely, anytime. Well, anyhow, we'll, we'll catch up later. And, uh, and thanks for, again for having me on. No, thank, thank you, you so, much. so much. Did you want to plug anything before you left? Yeah, if anyone is so inclined, go to my website, thecosmicswitchboard.com. You can also find my YouTube channel, which heavily censored the YouTube channel. <laughs> uh, so a number of my videos have been banished into the ether, but you can find me, James Bartley, but also, you know, find me through thecosmicswitchboard.com. You could find me on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter. And I'd love to hear your stories. If there's anything that I said uh, that or we, we discussed today that has resonance with you, I'd, I'd really like to know. And, and I want to thank each one of you listening that are consciously aware of all this stuff. You know, thank you for standing in the gap. Thank you for anchoring higher dimensional frequencies because, you know, we sorely need your presence here on Earth. So thank you for making a difference. Great. Well, thank you, James. It's been a pleasure speaking with you and uh, I'll talk to you again. Talk to you soon. All right. And definitely, yes. I, want, I want to stay in contact with both of you. You two, Nish. Okay, bye for now. Yes. All right. Thank Take you, care. James.